Welcome into Locked On Knicks. We got a great Friday edition for you guys today to end the work week. We are back with Jake Rosen. You might know him on Twitter as at Jake in the paint or from his website of the same name or for the fact that he is the co-host of the Prep to Pro podcast. And Gavin, we have a lot of great stuff to talk about with Jake today, namely the 2021 draft, which I have decided to dub Cade Cunningham and his underlings and everybody else. So we get into that with Jake today. It turns out, according to Jake, that's absolutely a fair title, Alex, because Cade Cunningham is a generational talent. We get into how he would potentially transform the Knicks if they were so lucky to get him. But why it isn't a total loss if they miss out on him is there's so many great options in the top 10. Would the Knicks draft Evan Mobley knowing they have Mitchell Robinson? What would the Knicks do at number three? According to Jake, that's where the questions start. Do you go Jalen Suggs? Is there another prospect with slightly higher upside that they could reach for? And then if the Knicks fall to the teens or if they get the Mavericks pick in the teens, who's the ideal wing fit for them? Is it someone like Moses Moody out of Arkansas, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga? We get into all that. And finally, Jake's big sleeper for this draft right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I am the editor-in-chief of Knicks blog, The Strickland. You can find that at thestrick.land in your web browser. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Gavin Shaw. He is a play-by-play announcer by day, Knicks podcaster by day and night. It's his uh, side job that's become the full-time job for the moment during the pandemic. And we have our... Esteemed guest, Jake Rosen, a.k.a. Jake in the Paint on Twitter. Uh, You might know his blog of the same name, Jake in the Paint, or from the Prep to Pros podcast. Jake, how are you doing today in this second part of our our discussion with you? Last time we talked about uh, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly. This time we're looking forward to some 2021 prospects. I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys for having me back. Had a ton of fun in part one talking some Knicks rookies, and I'm excited to talk some prospects. Yeah, well, so Knicks fans are understandably excited at the moment. The uh, Mavericks are really struggling right now. We're pushing towards a third of the way through the season, and they are they are sitting, I think, as of today, in the sixth spot. Uh, in the draft odds, which is actually where the Knicks ended last season. And the Knicks themselves are at, I think, the nine spot. So if the season ended today, which we could only be so lucky, uh, then although the reason would probably be that COVID is too bad. So I guess we wouldn't be too lucky in that case. That would just be tragic. But at any rate, uh, the Knicks, if the season ended today, would have two lottery picks. So I think people are getting understandably pretty excited about the lottery as this season chugs along and the Mavericks continue to struggle. Other teams in the West are really solidifying themselves and looking like they're legitimate, you know, contenders or at least playoff teams there. 
whereas the Mavs are kind of floundering, losing some games late, stuff like that. Things we might have normally chalked up to being uh, very Nixy tendencies. So that leads us to the 2021 draft where everybody's getting really excited uh, about these potential prospects and two unprotected lottery picks that the Knicks could have and could potentially end up with anything from two top five picks, two top 10 picks. Who knows? It's just exciting times all around. So Jake, we did do prior to the 2020 draft, we did a show with you where we talked 2020 draft a bit and then just did kind of a primer on 2021. Um, we want to get a little more in depth. Uh, there's been some semblance of a college season going on. We're also right around the corner from the G league season where we're going to get to see two of the top five, six ish prospects, uh, potentially available play for the G league ignite team against, you know, the Westchester Knicks and other G league squads, which should be an interesting experiment to see happen in real time. But Outside of the two guys on on that G League team, which is Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green, who you obviously I've seen you say on Twitter, like you're just dying to be able to make some real observations about these guys, but haven't been afforded the opportunity yet. Um, are you starting to sort of develop tiers? I know that that's a big thing among the draft communities. You, you set up tiers of like this, you know, this guy is all by himself or, or it's these two guys are at the top and then there's a big drop off after these guys. And then there's a second tier where everybody's roughly the same, then a big drop off, then a third tier and so on and so forth. Are you starting to get that other than the guys that you haven't been able to make evaluations on yet? So, yeah, I, I actually kind of, I'm pretty set on a group right now. Um, I'm not sure. So right now I have Cade Cunningham at the top by himself. Uh, he is, uh, he's elite in every sense of the word. Uh, he is, uh, he's just incredible. Um, must see TV, whether you're, you know, an NBA fan, if you, if you're an NBA fan who doesn't watch a ton of college basketball, like I get it as someone who watches all, all levels of basketball, college basketball can be infuriating to watch sometimes, but do yourself a favor, watch Kate Cunningham. Um, he's absolutely brilliant. Top, top prospect. It's not a discussion. It was never a discussion. It should have never been a discussion, but you know how Twitter likes to do things. But Cade Cunningham is at the top by himself, and if the Knicks somehow win the lottery, I genuinely don't know what I'm going to be able to do with myself. Um, okay, moving down, I have Evan Mobley in a tier by himself at number two. Um, just an incredibly cerebral big man who combines instincts, physical tools, skill, the ability to shoot, put the ball in the deck, and attack closeouts. Um, one of the best processors in the entire draft, just an incredible two-way big man prospect. And then at three, this is where things start to get a little bit dicey. Right now I have Jalen Suggs and I can't tell. I think right now I'd say Suggs is probably in a tier of his own at three uh, because four is where things really just start to get a lot messy for me. Um, so after Suggs at three, I then have a group that extends from right now, Sharif Cooper is all the way at four. Um, we're going to see where that goes, but I think he's kind of earned that so far. And I'm, we'll definitely talk about him later because I think he's a huge, you know, target for the Knicks, uh, which spans from Shreve Cooper at four all the way down to the end of the lottery. And this is where the, the order just makes no sense, but I'll read out the, this is in no order. I'm changing this by the day, but the guys in this group consist of Shreve Cooper, Moses Moody, Jaden Springer. Keon Johnson, Zaire Williams, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Johnson, Franz Wagner, James Booknight, and Corey Kispert. 
and that would round out my lottery in some order, but I'm kind of set on that at the moment. Are we ready for the Super Bowl? That's right. It's finally here, Super Bowl Sunday. This is the last time you'll hear us before the big game is played. And we wanted to remind you one final time, there is only one place that has you covered for all your game bets and prop bet needs, and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Alex, I've been I've been tiptoeing around it all week. I didn't want to commit. I didn't want to make a hard pick because I've been going back and forth. I'm genuinely torn. Normally, I have a pretty good feeling one way or another going to the Super Bowl. There are a lot of compounding factors in this one that make it just a, a near impossible pick, but I'm ultimately going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I just don't see how you can bet against a generational passing attack led by Patrick Mahomes. I know the offensive line is in disarray. If Tampa Bay is smart, they'll probably sit back a little bit, try and generate pass rush with just three or four guys, really put a lot of defensive backs in coverage, ensure that they could pretty consistently get a double team on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, let Tom Brady take advantage, score just enough points to win on the other end. I think ultimately it's going to be similar to their game earlier in the season where Todd Bowles gets a little bit too aggressive defensively. Mahomes takes advantage, picks them apart just enough times, or figures out the defense right around the end of the game like he did against the 49ers a year ago. I'm just I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, Alex. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that pick? And uh, maybe maybe a final prop bet or two. I know people have been loving this. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm also going Kansas City. I think the biggest thing is going to be that both teams are successful at generating pressure on the quarterback, but we've seen time and time again over the years, the, the one way to beat Tom Brady is to generate pressure on him in the pocket and break down his pocket and make him, you know, get the ball out quicker than he wants to get it out or take a sack. And I think Kansas City can do that. Uh, I, I think that the Chiefs with Mahomes, you know, even despite the turf toe and all that, he's still more mobile. He's shown the ability to get out of the pocket, elude pressure, and still get off a good throw down the field. So I think that's going to be the the big difference maker here and what will ultimately give the Chiefs the advantage that they need to win the game. Um, as far as interesting prop bets, I'm just looking through. <laughs> We've got uh, – how many times will Giselle Bunchen be shown? Of course, Tom Brady's wife. Uh, over one and a half or under one and a half times. I'm going to go under one and a half just because, you know, well, I don't know. If it's a close game, they'll show her a bunch because they'll show her like with her, with her head in her hands and all that. Like, and if it's a, you know what? Never mind. I'm going over one, over one and a half times, I think, for how many times they're going to show Giselle. Because, you know, if as long as it's a close game, they'll show her a bunch. Uh, how many times will Joe Biden tweet during the game over or under one half times? I'm going to take the over there because he's apparently doing an interview, uh, either pregame or halftime of the Super Bowl. So his team will definitely tweet about that. So I'm going over one half times. That's easy money. Um, and how many times will Patriots be said over or under two times? I'm going to take the over there as well. Uh, over two times, I think is a, a good bet there. But that's uh yeah that that's it for the prop bets. There was a lot of wacky wild ones. Oh, and you know what? I, I'll give my final determination. Uh, team rough versus team fluff in the puppy bowl. Uh, I'm gonna go. Final choice is team fluff. I'm going team fluff. A, a bold prediction. Not many would have had the confidence to make it, but Alex, you did. I'm proud of you. A great pick. A great uh, two weeks of insane prop bets. 
hopefully people take something away from it. And it's that we don't want them to sit on the sidelines anymore. We want them to get in on all this great action with us. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll be right back with Jake Rosen. But first, get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. All right, so let's let's start right at the top. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw another difficult question your way that I should have prepped you on, but you might have a little bit of prep because I think I asked you literally the same question last time you were on the podcast. Uh, Cade Cunningham versus Luka Doncic as prospects. Um, I can't remember what your answer was when, when I threw that your way last time. I want to say you maybe said Cade was a little ahead of him, but has your opinion um, changed or stayed the same since I can't remember your answer on that uh, since we talked before the season? And I guess you could just use that as a platform to talk about how your opinion on Kate has evolved overall now that we have a pretty extensive college sample size of him. Yeah, I mean, so Luca was the year before I really started the, doing this like incredibly in depth. I watched Luca games. I was blown away by him. I was, I think, 15 or 16 at the time didn't have the exposure knowledge um that like and just drive that I had to right now I wasn't you know watching and analyzing and clipping and taking notes on possession 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 by possession basis but what I will just say about Cade compared to when you just give it like a glance and you watch a couple Luka games in hindsight I think Cade Cade's definitely a better shooter and I think that's a big thing um, people always talk about how inefficient Luca is behind the arc. And I think Cade is going to be a really good shooter. Um, the mechanic, the strides he's made in his mechanics over the past two years have been incredible. Um, it's incredibly fluid now. You know, he's getting to his step backs. He's hitting pull-up threes. He's hitting spot-up relocation threes off the ball. Um, and I think that's what probably makes Cade a little bit more scalable than Luca in the long term is that he will be a much better shooter off the ball. Not that you wouldn't want to give him the rock and let him do his thing, but, you know, it, it, when you are winning a championship, you do want to have multiple creators. And I think Cade probably brings a little bit more off-ball value on offense. Um, you know, Cade is a wizard. He, he is absolute wizard. Luca has a unique ability to, you know, improvise and figure things out. I'm not saying Cade doesn't have that. But since Luca, you know, has always been a relatively poor athlete compared to his competition throughout his entire life, he'll have these up fakes and these footwork and the drop steps and, like, just – Every move in the bag, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you're listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're hard to describe, but it's like his signature thing. You know, he'll get into the lane, get a paint touch, and then just up fake you until you give him a window and he'll make a crazy play. I'm not saying Cade doesn't have that, but I think Cade is a little bit more traditional winning with strength. Um, Luca wins the strength a lot too, but Cade is much more get downhill, drop my shoulder, and finish with touch. It's really hard to compare the two, and I think it's ultimately splitting hairs. Um, what I can say is the fact that I'm legit, like, I have this conversation with you guys, and it's logical, and there are ways that Cade actually is a better prospect. Like, I think that probably tells you enough about how damn good this kid is. But, yeah, it's definitely tough splitting hairs. And if you look at where Luke is at right now in the league, I think that should probably get you pretty excited about Cade, considering this is a realistic conversation. 
I've seen, so I'd be lying if I said I've watched a lot of Cade so far. I've watched, you know, when the season was just starting, I watched parts of a couple of his games at Oklahoma State. Um, so I haven't, you know, outside of statistics and stuff, I haven't, you know, really dove in and started watching too much stuff yet other than, you know, just little clips that I see from people and things of that nature. What is what is your opinion? I know some people have been critical of what's perceived to be a pretty low assist number for him. Do you think that's a, a quality of teammate situation? I know that's the case a lot in college. Or do you think that he's just looking to score more in college to make up for quality of teammates uh, or, or what? But, I, you know, I've seen some people that have been critical of the fact that he's only I think it's I think he's averaging like just under four assists per game. And people were expecting, you know, potentially like 27 and seven out of him this year or something. Um, what, what's your general opinion on that? Uh, although I understand that assists aren't like necessarily indicative of passing ability. It's just something that I've seen come up a few times. I mean, I'll just tell you guys this, like, you know how it works. If you're going to come at me or anyone and discredit Kate as a passer and you're using his assist numbers as uh, evidence for that, you just don't watch basketball. It's pretty simple. Um, That just means you're not watching games. And I know everyone doesn't have time to watch full games and it's not everyone's passion, whatever. Then it's okay. Don't comment all the time. I say, I don't know. I haven't seen him. I, I haven't seen enough to comment. And those are probably the people that they don't trigger me the most, but it's just like you're blatantly exposing yourself. If you watch Cade um, on a game to game basis, he throws some of the most impressive passes I've seen from any college basketball player. And what stands out always is how easy he makes them look like there was a play. He got blitzed on a ball screen in the Kansas game and he is in like the right wing. He just is what this is while double teamed off the live dribble throws a skip pass on a like frozen rope to the opposite corner right in the shooting pocket i don't remember if he made it or missed it but like that shouldn't look easy most people have to jump and you know get all this energy transformation from their upper body to make that he literally like you know just threw it over his head like it was nothing and he's just an incredible passer and i think i've talked about this a lot it's it's enabled by his size his ability to just see over the defenses and throw the throw passes over the defense and that was a huge thing what i really liked with LaMelo last year. And I talked about how his size gave him a lot of advantageous passing windows, whether it was, you know, in the big piece I wrote, there were about a couple hundred words talking about how effective he is throwing passes over his shoulder and behind his head, because that's where no one could get them. And I think you see a lot of that with Cade, where his ability to play make and dribble and draw the defense at six, seven, six, eight, just enables him to be such a wicked passer because what are you going to do to stop it? You know, no big or no guy who actually is capable of like checking him from a physical tool standpoint and like a height and wingspan, they're not going to be able to stay in front of him and they're not going to be able to take his shoulder bump. Um, It's just, there's really no easy way to guard him. And again, if you're coming at me with assist totals, it's just not worth either of our time. Just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, if you haven't heard, is the best tasting protein bar ever. And that's because the improved Built Bar is even deliciouser than ever before. That is a word. Look it up. Built Bars are right next to it in the dictionary. That's because Built Bar now has six new flavors. Caramel Brownie, Cherry Barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, and Apple Almond Crisp, along with cookies and cream, one of my new favorite flavors. 
And that goes along with 12 original flavors like raspberry, peanut butter, mint brownie, double chocolate, toffee almond, and one of my personal favorites, also coconut almond. Tastes just like an almond joy. All Built Bars are covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew. So you get that candy bar sensation without that candy bar guilt. And that's because Built Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. For example, the coconut almond, one of my favorites, has nine, or sorry, 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. My other new favorite, Cookies and Cream, has 17 grams of protein compared to just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So if you're interested in picking up some Built Bars for yourself, Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. And you might want to get some Built Bars after working on your car and, you know, working up a little sweat doing that. And there's no better place to go if you want to work on your car than RockAuto.com. There's so many makes and models of cars now. It's just impossible for these brick and mortar stores to stock the amount of parts that they need for you. And on top of it, when you go into those stores, you know, they ask you all these probing questions about your car that you don't know the answer to. And you're kind of just like, look, man, I just need this part that I looked up. I have the YouTube tutorial ready to go. Can I just get this part and go? Then they search their computer. They say, oh, no, we don't have that in stock. And go figure they don't. There's so many cars out there. How could they possibly stock all the parts in one store? And then they look it up in the computer they give you a price, you get a little sticker shock, but ultimately you say, okay, fine, I guess I'll buy it. And then they say, all right, well, we'll see you in like three, four days, come to the store to pick it up. So then you have to go back to the store, pick your part up. And then, you know, it should have just been an easy Saturday, work it on your car, turns into like a whole week affair of trying to get the part and then having to delay your repair for another week. That's where rockauto.com comes in. You know, if you know you want to work on your car on a Saturday, you can order it earlier in the week. And have the part right at your doorstep when you need it. RockAuto.com has all the parts for your car or truck. I can damn near guarantee it that they're going to have the part that you're looking for. And it's going to be the lowest price possible. They're not going to charge you any more than they would charge a mechanic or anybody else like those brick and mortar places do. They're going to give you the bottom dollar price no matter what. And make sure that you get it shipped right to your door and get to work on your car as soon as possible. RockAuto.com is also a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And so, you know, you know that they have your best interest in mind and want to make sure that you are a happy customer. So if you go to RockAuto.com right now and check out all the parts available for your car or truck and you decide to pick up a part, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, we'll be right back for our final segment with Jake Rosen, but just a reminder that tomorrow on Locked On NBA, join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Mares of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap-up of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking you can't miss. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, so I think it's it's pretty abundantly obvious that Cade would be an incredible fit on any team, particularly the Knicks, um, who could who could kind of use that finishing fifth piece. I mean, he would he would sort of be the fulcrum of of everything that 
uh, they would do offensively. Um, we, we noted in our previous episode that Emmanuel quickly would play exceptionally well off of him. I don't, I don't know if it's, if the, if it's even worth getting into because he's such an obvious fit again with the Knicks and every single team in the league. Evan Mobley, I think is, is a little bit more of an intriguing conversation in regards to the Knicks. If the Knicks um, via their own pick or via the Dallas pick were, were ending up at that second spot. Um, what do you think, what do you think they would ultimately do there? Because I know Mobley is a guy who's, who's, as you noted, prized for his versatility was was long considered the number one prospect in this class before the emergence of, of the full emergence of Cade his senior year and guys like you Jake might have been ahead of it but I know the mainstream scouting services seemingly only only caught up by the end of their senior seasons um again like like Alex I haven't I can't say I've watched a ton of him just a couple of minutes here or there but from my understanding a guy who's who's really prized for his um I, I think you you literally use these words his incredible defensive versatility and then all, all the different things he can do offensively um despite not necessarily being overwhelmingly o- overwhelming statistically on that end of the floor do, do you think there's a clear and obvious fit for him on the Knicks and, and obviously with, with the level of talent he has you would think they prioritize him over someone like Julius Randle but could he could he play next to Mitchell Robinson or, or is he just a guy who's so talented you, you draft him and you, and you make it work later I mean yeah there the, the obvious answer is there is no fit um, there is no fit. Uh, maybe I think he spaces the floor eventually. I do not want that to be his rookie role. However, if we, the Knicks get the numbers you pick, Cade goes one. I'm sprinting to the podium and I'm taking Evan Mobley, and I'm not thinking twice about it. Um, we're talking about a potential generational big man prospect here in terms of fluidity with skills, tools, IQ, instincts. Um, there are going to be Knicks fans who say, we have Mitchell Robinson. Why do we need Evan Mobley? And that is just the line of thought that really gets you in trouble when you're picking towards the top of the draft. And we saw the Warriors, you know, Warriors said they liked LaMelo Ball a lot, but they thought Wiseman was a better fit. You know, fit changes every single year in the NBA. And when you draft for fit at the top of the draft, that's when you start to look back in hindsight and say, oh, we messed up. And by no means am I going to allow Mitchell Robinson to deny me of acquiring the rights to Evan Mobley for the next X amount of years. And he's just that special and he's that good. Do you trade Robinson? I don't know. I'm skeptical they can play. I mean, maybe they could play together, but are you really maximizing either one of them there? I don't know. Um, Yeah, if he's on the board, you take him and you don't think twice because that's someone who I am actually comfortable building around and saying, okay, we finally have a cornerstone. And I'm not comfortable saying that about anyone on the team right now. So to me, it's really that simple. I I do think Mobley is is that good. So to move to another guy on your list in the the interest of time, although I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk more in depth about any one of these given guys at another time. Jalen Suggs, uh, former football player as well as basketball player, and he is certainly built like it. Uh, he is a, a tank of a dude, si- listed 6'4", 205. Uh, looks like he could potentially be even more than that. He's just a ball of muscle. Uh, currently, he's at 13.5 points a game. He shoots pretty good percentages. Overall, 59% from two, 36% from three, 74% from the free throw line. What's your general take on him? You know, we had a an interesting discussion in the last show where, you know, you said quickly has been operating as the Knicks point guard, but you don't necessarily know that you're 100% sold on him filling that role. 
but I think it's undeniable that quickly is definitely, you know, part of the Knicks, hopefully long-term future. And is, is definitely a, you know, a guy that is talented enough to be on this team and sort of a cornerstone of it for a long time. Do you think that Suggs presents a really good fit for the Knicks in that sense, in the sense that he could be that lead ball handler to take that responsibility off of quickly? And, you know, what's your general take on, on Suggs and what his fit would be like on the Knicks? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, this is where things start to get really complicated with him and the Knicks. Um, I'm high on Suggs. He, he came off, came on the season on an absolute heater whether it was pull-ups you know efficiency the numbers have dropped a bit and respectably uh, you're not going to shoot 48 percent from three throughout the entire year if you're taking four pull-ups a game but the biggest concern with Suggs and in my last piece about second side creation that I plugged it into part one I wrote 300 word 3,000 words on Jalen Suggs and I had a ton of fun with it so you know I'm going to keep it simple for the short of this podcast but if you're looking for more go check that out anyways the biggest difference with the biggest issue with Suggs right now is the ball control and his handle. Um, he is six four, so he does have combo guard size. I believe that his biggest asset in the half court, the half, the half court is where he struggles to score. You know, in transition, he can leverage the tools he has. He's a great pull up shooter. He's an incredibly smart basketball player and a very good passer. You know, he, he does an incredible job manipulating the defense. However, he will struggle sometimes to create advantages off the bounce in the half court um, because of his handle and his ball control. It's pretty shaky. He gets stripped way more than you would like. I don't know if I've asked around. I, I can't tell if it's like he has small hands or just bad, bad grip strength. I don't know. But regardless of the route, the problem is there. Um, and I, I don't love the Knicks fit because I do feel in my heart of hearts that long-term him and quickly are sort of looking to play the same type of secondary archetype. If that makes sense to you guys, you know, I think you kind of just be putting two guys next to each other who have a lot of the same similarities and deficiencies. Well, I think Suggs is probably a better passer and quickly has that better in between game. You know, they're both derived from their shooting gravity and then play from there. They're, they're very different. I do want to make that clear. Suggs is an incredibly intelligent basketball player and that's where he wins you know, just seeing things before they happen, manipulating the defense with his eyes and ball fakes, all that stuff is extremely impressive. And that's why I like him so much. However, I don't think it's a home run fit for the Knicks. And unlike Evan Mobley, I don't know if I'm willing to just say, take him and deal with it later. Because as we noted in part one, like when you do that with Obi Toppin, and I do think Jalen Suggs is a much better prospect than Obi Toppin. I will make that clear. However, I don't know if Jalen Suggs is like undoubtedly that good that I'm willing to just get him and make it work. If that makes sense. All right. So the guy you mentioned at number four is someone who um, the athletic Sam Vecini also had going to the Knicks. No, he had him going to the Knicks at 16 and that is Sharif Cooper out of Auburn um, after an illustrious high school career. Um, he had some NCAA issues that seemed a little weird and questionable, not on his end, on the NCAA's end, um, but he, he's now playing um, and he's been spectacular. Uh, as far as I understand it with Cooper, the concerns are about his jump shots hovering just over 20% from three-point range, if I remember correctly, but a guy who is, um, I, I guess, the antithesis of Suggs in this sense in that he's a fantastic ball handler and, and similar to Suggs in that he's also a great passer and, and still finding ways to score and finish despite that choppy jump shot and when I first read that description uh, again in, in that great athletic 
piece with Bussini and Mike Borkanov, I was I was kind of saying, all right, do the Knicks really need that guy? When, when you have quickly and this whole roster, it has a distinct dearth of shooting. Do you want to do you want to lead guard now, whose whole game is is predicated on his handle and not really a shot? But uh, you, you noted uh, just now that you you think he's a great fit on the Knicks. So why is that? Um, I think he's a good fit on the Knicks because he solves a problem that you know we've been looking for for a long time now, and that's a lead guard who can consistently shift the defense on a possession by possession basis. Um, yes, the the efficiency is not great right now. He's hovering around forty percent from the field. He's shooting eighteen percent or nineteen percent from three. However, it's on four point six attempts. He's getting them up. The mechanics are undoubtedly wonky, but he has range and he has incredible touch. Uh, he's one of the best lob passers I've seen. Um, definitely the best in this class, just in terms of touch placement. So, you know, if people like attributing floater touch to jump shot improvement, I like to say play the same card for lob passing. And look, I've never been one to bank an entire shooting improvement case on that, but it's worth noting. Um, but where Cooper is such a big fit for the Knicks, in my opinion, is again, his ability to put pressure on the defense and playmake. And the Knicks just don't have that. They don't have someone who can consistently, in the lead guard spot, penetrate, get paint touches, and then create for others from there. It's Everything is more difficult than it has to be because we have people handling the ball that aren't really capable of handling the ball. I mean, I don't really, we don't really need to say their names, but we all know who they are. We all, all watch the games. So, while Cooper is probably going to be, a, and not probably, definitely going to be a defensive negative and has some jump, jump shot kinks to work out, he does bring something to the table that the Knicks have long been missing. And I do think I, I, it's very necessary to get that guy. Um, how high I would take him, again, like I said, that's still being worked out. And a big like reason for that is we need to see how the, where the efficiency nets out. Statistically, I think he's very similar to Trey Young. You know, when Trey was coming out, I'm pulling up Trey's statistical profile right now. Um, Trey was shooting 42%. He shot just under 50% from two and 36% from three. And obviously the difference is that Trey had long shooting range. Um, I think we can agree it was probably overrated back then. And he's not as efficient as we all thought he could be. However, he's getting them up. He's drawing the defense. You can't leave him open from probably 28 feet and in, 30 feet and in. And that matters. With Sharif, the problem you run into is we have a slashing guard that we can just sag off of. And where like it's not necessarily the case is that Sharif's handle and body control and ability to improvise on the court is something like I've never seen before. He's getting two guys run at him in the backcourt and he's dribbling through the entire defense and getting a scoop layup. Um, the problem with Sharif is that he a lot of his value is like, paint touches and rim attempts and while he is a crazy good finisher for his size at the end of the day he's probably 511 uh without great strength so you inevitably run into problems there but you know people a lot of times they'll just say don't overthink it and i think that kind of applies to shreve cooper um it's not perfect there's no perfect projection there's no perfect fit however you have a dude that's basically carving up an ncaa defense at will and i just and we even talked about him as a passer who is just incredibly efficient and manipulative. Like his usage is through the roof and he still isn't above a two, uh, above a two uh, assist turnover ratio. Like he's just been really, really good this entire season. 
And you can't necessarily say that a lot about the top prospects. So until he regresses or other guys pick it up, I think he's kind of earned his spot in the top seven to eight conversation. I just got to ask, is there is there any kind of fit with Emmanuel quickly there? Because to me, on, on paper, that sounds like kind of a poor man's Damon CJ. But how, how, do you, how do you see that? No, and I think that's, I mean, minus the pull-up shooting from Dame, I think that's what you're going for. You know, two offensively-minded guards who you would have to build your entire back line around because, you know, if your two starting guards are six, you know, 5'11", six-footer for being generous, and 6'3", and they weigh a combined... 310 pounds, then we definitely might run into some issues there. But I, I do think there is a fit there um, where, you know, quickly shot making and pull up shooting can kind of be the yin to Cooper's slashing yang. And, and I think that's kind of what we're looking at. But look, there is no perfect fit when you until I'm con- like, there is no perfect fit for Sharif until you're comfortable with him as a shooter to some extent. And I think that's where the small sample size is really hindering the take that I'm willing to like go all the way on it in on him and be on the record about it because he has only played seven games so far. So I, I think that's probably the most important thing to monitor, but Sharif passes the eye test with flying colors and that's worth something. So, you know, I know I already mentioned and, you know, you've mentioned on Twitter and stuff, not being able to see, Kuminga, uh, uh, Jonathan Kuminga, I should say, and Jalen Green yet play because they're on the G League Ignite team. So maybe we're jumping the gun a tiny bit. That said, I know that you watch probably or keep up with more high school basketball than most people I can think of. Um, so I think you're probably the best guy to ask prior to this this G League bubble kicking off about these two guys. So Kuminga from my understanding is, I mean, he, he might be the youngest player in the draft, uh, barring any international guys, but I think domestically he's the, the youngest player in the draft. He's just over 18 years old right now, reclassified to 2021 from 2022. Uh, so he's, I mean, from what I've seen of him, he's built, he's built like a man. Like there's no, there's no growing into his body left anymore. I mean, he's a big dude. He's filled out. He looks strong as hell. And everything about his game looks like he's just got to refine the the finer aspects of the game at this point. But like athletically, he seems like he is all there and ready for the NBA. Uh, Jalen Green, on the other hand, seems uh, maybe like he needs to put on a little weight, you know, a little strength, and has sort of that that occasionally too crazy uh, offensive ability or not so much ability, but decision-making that sort of thing. It seems like he's a, you know, a gunner, so to speak, but those are just my, my limited impressions again, without being able to see much of, you know, high school film is sparing, you know, high school stats or whatever, although maybe becoming more important as time goes on to consider with some of these guys. Um, But what are your overall thoughts on those two before we get into the G league bubble and really get to see what they're made of here? I mean, so first, I'll start off with Green. Uh, Jalen Green has kind of long been this prized prospect based on his just incredible athleticism, slashing ability, scoring ability, you name it. Um, in his final year in the UIBL, he actually, I'm not going to say he got exposed, but he had a very slender frame. The handle wasn't completely there. The ball control was kind of all over the place. Um, he absolutely turned it on when it mattered most in the Peach Jam, especially in the semifinals, which was... He put forth an incredible performance. I think it was the semifinals, but 
what you're talking about with him, and he really impressed me in his senior year of film. Uh, definitely worked on his shot a lot. His balance was a lot better, much more up and down, um, more compact mechanically. He had one of the craziest shot-making outbursts I've seen from any high school prospect against Lalamere last winter. He hit about like six, seven threes in like about a 10-minute span, all pull-up, all self-created. Um, the issues you run into with him is for it's similar to Anthony Edwards is that for an athlete who could probably get to the rim at will, he does fall in love with those long pull-ups. It's less than like the deep pull-ups, but you know, a lot of these pull-up threes, it just, he'll settle and he won't be completely engaged. But I do really like Jalen Green under the foundation that he kind of has right now, which is this slashing wing who can create his own shot, has some space creation chops. If he subscribes to the fact that like he's going to go off the ball, he needs to work as a cutter. You know, he needs to be engaged off the ball. You can't just be standing there and wait to get the rock so you can get into your ISO bag. Like, that's not going to fly. Uh, I don't like Jalen as, like, a potential primary going forward, but I think he can be very, very valuable as this off-ball guard who can impact the game in multiple ways offensively. And if he can stay locked in and garner those tools, you know, maybe strap up on the defensive end. The IQ and the passing is certainly something I'm looking to track in the bubble. But he's someone who I think kind of fits, might be able to fit that scalability card that we talked about in the first episode if he's mentally willing to do it. Um, and then Kaminga. Kaminga is probably, I tweeted this after watching his high school film before, you know, the 2020 or 2021 cycle even started. I think Kaminga is probably going to be the hardest evaluation for me, maybe other than the Tennessee guys, because we just don't really see them. Uh, but with Kaminga, his high school film was pretty rough, to be honest. Um, the St. Pat- Patrick School film, his senior year, it, it wasn't great. You know, the decision-making didn't cover the strides that you would have hoped for. And with Kaminga, you were initially getting pegged this big wing who had who would able to get to the rim at will, create his own shot, could hit pull-ups, and, you know, was working out the feel aspect. And I'm willing to buy that because those dudes don't come around often, especially when they're listed at – um, physical tools and measurements that you listed him at. But the issue has been Kaminga has kind of been sliding into this like Pat Will role, which is, you know, you're a four who is giving a little bit of handling ability, a little bit of slashing ability, can, is looking to post up more than you probably should. And it, by doing that, his biggest strength on the defensive end is leveraging his size and lateral quickness and just otherworldly tools at the point of attack and roughing guys up and giving them trouble there where he struggles is off the ball where he has to you know tag rollers make rotations make quick instinctual decisions that's where he struggles and so I'm really interested to see what mold Kaminga actually fits because if he can go back to that big wing that he initially was then all of a sudden your point of attack him being a wing stopper provides more value and I'm more intrigued by his pull-up shooting flashes however if he kind of continues to project and go forward as this four man, then all of a sudden you're playing less point of attack defense. You're having more secondary rim, rim, rim protection responsibilities. And instead of maximizing the tools at the point of attack, you're now kind of shrinking that responsibility a little bit and bringing to the surface this weakness that he has kind of always struggled with. So his positioning, you know, we can talk a lot about positioning, so I'm not going to position this fastball. So I'll say his defensive and offensive responsibilities in the bubble are are probably the things I'm most intrigued to see. And then I guess um, kind of getting to the mid to late lottery guys, 
Who who would you say out of the guys you have in that tier, or maybe even one tier back, would potentially be the best fit on the Knicks? Because obviously the name everyone keeps going to, and the name that that's constantly thrown around Knicks Twitter is, is Corey Kispert. Who I mean, as far as I've watched, I, I see a lot of Joe Harris in his game. I've, I've heard a lot of people make that comparison, and, and the fit is so obvious on the Knicks, right? A, a big wing who could hold his own defensively and just shoot the lights out. It might, might even have some latent shooting potential off movement um, and off the dribble that we, we haven't even fully seen at Gonzaga and, or Gonzaga and could come out in the NBA. That's the name you hear over and over and over again. But is, is there is, is he the guy in that group for you, or is there someone else like a Moses Moody, maybe someone I'm, I'm not really thinking of who isn't a shooter like a Scotty Barnes? Um, who, who would you sort of just slot into this Knicks core of Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson if you wanted to pick the perfect fifth guy to play with those other four? Um, it's Moses Moody. Um, no disrespect to Corey Kispert. Um, if you know that Dallas pick ends up anywhere from 12 to 15, Kispert, sign me up. Um, there are no doubts about him. He's pretty much he's a historical college role player at this point. The shooting splits are off the charts, the versatility, the volume, the improvements, you know, as a lateral athlete on defense, opened up his bag, attacking closeouts on offense. It's all there. I mean, he's had an incredible season and I would have no issues taking him if Moses Moody is off the board. Um, Moses Moody is someone I've had a lot of love for, for a long time now. I wrote about him in like my 2021, my guys column uh, whatever about his high school film. And with Moody, you just get someone who has been privy to playing these, all these different roles throughout his developmental career. You know, Montverde is playing alongside Kate Cunningham. So he's playing this linking wing role in EYBL. He's the, he's like the lead scorer for Brad Beal elite, getting up, putting up 20 a game, taking step back threes, um, working on his self-creation. And I think his, like, his play at Arkansas, I think he's undoubtedly been one of the biggest winners in of the season so far. I did not expect him to score the ball at the rate that he's scoring the ball right now. Uh, I was projecting him more as like a 3 and D guy. He's currently averaging 16.5 points per game on 12 shots. He's shooting 36% from three on about five attempts per game, 80% from the line. Um, he's just like, I'm very confident that he's going to be a good wing basketball player. Um I think he is a higher ceiling than most, and I think I'm probably on the higher end. Um, the stocks haven't completely been there. I think he's still adjusting to a new scheme and role at Arkansas. That's something I'm try- I've been trying to pinpoint since watching him in the first week of the season. But I- I- he's a very instinctual basketball player, and I don't think he just like forgot how to play great health defense because it's still there. Um, the rotations are still there, and he's been very good on the ball, which was a big point of improvement for him so that's great to see considering he was kind of that guard wing tweener and now it's good to see that not only can he you know slide over and make rotations on the back end when he's guarding bigger wings but he can also strap up and play on the perimeter slide father defender uh, father guards and you know he's just a really good basketball player who can shoot he can shoot off the bounce can shoot off movement he can he's a great cutter he just finds ways like there will be some games where you'll look at and you're like, oh, no way. Like, how did Moody get to 20 points? And it's just because he finds ways to put himself in advantageous situations. It's not luck. It's just having great instincts. It's being attentive off the ball. And he just checks all those boxes. And he's something. He's someone I'm all the way in on. And I would love for the Knicks to grab him with one of those two picks. So speaking of guys that just seem to be able to score, I don't know what inspired me to make this the first guy that I decided to go down like a YouTube rabbit hole for, 
But I decided to take a look at James Booknight out of UConn. And I was really impressed by his scoring ability. I mean, he just like, it seems like he can score however he wants. Now, I don't think that he's going to be a, you know, you talk a lot about primary initiators and all that. And I don't think he's that. I don't think he's going to be a guy that can lead your offense, you know, as far as finding teammates and all that. But if you need a guy that can go out there and score and, I mean, in what I've seen of him put his body on the line, like get inside, not be afraid to absorb contact and finish through it and all that stuff. He seems like the guy. Could you just give sort of your general scouting report on book night and, and what you've thought about him so far this season? Yeah. So um, in that article that I keep shamelessly plugging, there are also plug away, couple, man. Plug away. <laughs> there are also a couple thousand words on James book night and kind of why I am inclined to like him more than others, but also you know, the limitations and why there probably is a number that's a little bit too high for me. And with Book Knight, you're talking about the ultimate scalable scoring guard. Um, he is the best off-ball player in the class. He's better. He's a little better than Moody. Um, Book Knight setting up cuts. I like, I, I wrote about that he like runs routes when he's off the ball. Uh, if you watch like his hard plants and the way he throws his hips to, you know, shift defenders, he's always moving. And I love to see that from him. You nailed the hit. You hit hit the nail on the head. He's an incredible scorer, very efficient. Um, can get buckets in a multitude of ways. Can get to step backs off the bounce. Can attack, and he's an incredible athlete. Crazy hang time as a finisher, which great hang time and great body control. Which when you put those two together, um, that's a pretty impressive conversation uh, combination for like a big guard, small wing finisher. So I think the finishing is definitely gonna hold at a pretty elite level. Uh, he's still. I'm looking for a little bit more shooting versatility. Uh, he does like sh- shooting off of his left hand, which is very common for right-hand players uh, to have the ball in their shooting pocket already and then just rise right up. So when he comes back from the injury, you know, monitoring that versatility and how he's actually getting those shots off, it's going to be really important for me to see. But at the end of the day, like he, I'm confident he's going to score the ball at a plus level. And what I really like about him and Jalen Green while Jalen Green has a much higher ceiling than him, I think, just based off like the tools, Book Knight already understands the value of how of how to score efficiently. And that's what Jalen needs to understand. So when you're talking about those two prospects, it's essentially which one are you willing to bet on? Are you willing to bet on Jalen's tools and innate scoring ability? And, you know, are you willing to make, wait for the mental side to catch up? Or do you want to just play it safer and take Book Knight for what he is? Because I do think like, I don't see a ton of star potential in book night. Um, One of the things, his biggest weakness, in my opinion, is the playmaking. Uh, Every good pass I've seen him make, and I I watched all of his games leading up to the injury, the best passes I've seen him make are strictly pick and roll to the roller, reading the tag in and the window's there, he'll throw it in there. There is no manipulation. There is very little thinking on the fly, and that's okay. That's not everyone's responsibility, but I do have a little bit of like reservations about his ability as a decision maker and how that translates to star upside. But I still think Book Knight is a very good, you know, late lotto prospect. Um, anywhere from ten to fourteen, I'm cool with that. And I think you know he's going to be a very good piece if he lands in the right spot. All right, Jake. So I guess to wrap things up, uh, this is how we usually end with draft guys. Can you give us your your favorite sleeper so far in the 2021 draft? And I'll, I'll just frame that as anyone expected to go outside of the top 20 to 25, like either late, very late first round pick, early second round pick in your mind, or or at least is generally being framed that way that you think is underrated. So, I mean, if you asked me this a month ago, I would have 
scream Jared Butler because I've probably been singing his praises for <laughs> about a year now. Uh, it seems like his play is undeniably giving him the hype that he deserves. So we'll see. You know, he might be the beneficiary of that March bump that we always see and might even sneak his way into late lotto. I wouldn't be surprised at this point. So he's no longer a sleeper. I'm going to go Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, TJ Shannon was someone who a lot of people on draft Twitter were really impressed with last year. And when I turned on the film, I didn't really see it. I wasn't a huge fan. Um, he was this six, seven guy doing pretty much exclusively like four man things. His, he was at his best when he was the role man. Um, you're talking about an incredibly explosive and strong athlete, but he doesn't have that at the expense of any lateral quickness. But this year, I've been wildly impressed by his ability off the bounce. Uh, last, especially as a shooter, um, the shooting percentages are still in the low 30s. And the great PD Webb just did a little piece outlining what the issues are in his mechanics and how fixable they may or may not be. But TJ Shannon is a really impressive like wing slasher. You know, someone who's going to attack closeouts when he gets them, but also is capable of creating his own shot with his handle. And when he gets the rim, a great finisher, you know, with that strength and vertical pop. And then just an incredible defender. Uh, the stocks are there. He can defend at the point of attack with his lateral quickness and strength. Very smart basketball player. And so, you know, when you get wings who are showing, you know, rapid improvement in comfort, operating off the bounce, they can finish at the rim. And not only are they not a liability defensively, they enhance your team both on and off the ball. Uh, that's someone I'm probably taking in the top 20, and I definitely haven't seen his name there yet. So uh, that'll be my sleeper for, for now. All right. Well, I think there's so many more guys that we could still get into because <laughs> there's, there's literally a whole world of them out there. But for this particular episode, I think that is a good point to end off on. Uh, Jake, do you want to remind everybody where to find all your work again and where to find you on social media and all that good stuff? Um, yeah. So you, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake in the paint, uh, engage with me there. As I said in part one, my DMS are open. My mentions are open. I love to talk hoops with everyone. Uh, I, the article that I've shamelessly plugged probably 15 times over the course of these two parts, you can go find that. Uh, I wrote about Jared Butler, Josh Christopher, James Booknight, and Jalen Suggs. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about those guys or just getting my thoughts. Um, and yeah, that's in subscribe to Prep to Pro and stay tuned for that episode from me and from Max and I. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is a ton of fun. Um, definitely one of my favorite podcast appearances. Not a lot of people know that I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I try to make it pretty clear through my tweets, but a lot of people are still surprised. And I think when they... It's the classic Knicks fan cycle. They find out you're a Knicks fan and then they send something like my condolences or something. But so I'm glad I'm glad to, you know, be a part of a Knicks community to an extent. And thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Jake, I really I do. I do appreciate that about you. Because we, we have a lot of great draft people on. Uh, I think as I think Wasserman might might low key be a Knicks fan. I, I don't know if he's ever if I've ever heard him talk about it. Um, but I think, I think John is a Knicks fan at heart, to be honest. Okay, I think I, I don't know why I know that, but I think I for some reason I'm convinced of it. Um, but I, I, I appreciate that you're you're so open about it, Jake. And I, I think it, it's good because you're you're able to uh, frame prospects from a Knicks centric perspective. We'll have you on again soon. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, continue continue writing great stuff because I enjoy reading all of it. Thank you guys, and hope hope everything goes well. <laughs>